It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. As we start a training, what we uh, really love to do is start with a training in prayer. Prayer is one of the lost arts of Christian living. We all know about prayer. We all you know, throw some prayers up there. But to really understand the idea of prayer, the mechanics of prayer, and how we begin to function in prayer at a higher level, that's what we desire to impart to us because even though uh, some of you are going to be here for a week and it's going to go by very quickly, and we're handing you tools, and not all of those tools will be exercised at a fine or high level, but at the same time, just to begin to understand some of these things is critical. And anyone that is uh, listening in, these are such critical foundational tools to a successful Christian life. And a lot of times in modern discipleship, well, modern discipleship, you could almost say, is almost non-existent. So the, just the fact that I'm putting modern on it doesn't mean that it's there. A lot of times discipleship has been relegated to the, uh, the coffee shop conversation. So how are you doing spiritually? And there is, I'm not saying that it's absent. I know that some people have, some in here have actually had some really solid discipleship in their life. But it's, it's rare today as opposed to common and yet we are commissioned by the church to make disciples. So it's, it's, a, it's a very, very significant thing. And one of the aspects of discipleship is the impartation of a framework and understanding of the how. So a lot of times we have just big words like faith. We're like, if I were to say, what's faith? It's like, it's not that you wouldn't have a guess. It'd just be an educated guess. But to really be solid in what faith is. I mean, you're saved by this stuff. <laughs> so it's rather important, right? Grace. Oh, I mean, we have a general idea what grace is, don't we? I mean, we know what this is. I mean, so when it comes to things like prayer, oftentimes what you hear in churches, you need to be praying more. But that doesn't necessarily mean you know how to. So as a result, we oftentimes get the commission or get the word or get the term, but we don't understand the how, the function of it, so that we can become intimately familiar with it and exercise it in our life. If I just showed you a gym, you know, like a workout facility, and I said, this is for you. You can use all the weights and do whatever you want in here. But no one has ever trained you how to use weights. It's actually rather intimidating. That's similar to what it's like in Christianity. I mean, the whole weight room is open to us. We have access to all the tools. We have a free membership uh, into this whole thing. The kingdom of God is open to us. All the vast resource of it is there. But no one's ever trained us how to use it. And so let's actually begin to learn how to do some of the basics. And so prayer, of course, this is a, a huge one. I call this the rope and the shovel, a study in participatory prayer. The word participatory prayer is, has been a, an increasing idea in my understanding to recognize the significance not just of Eric's praying, not just of Eric and Leslie's praying, because those are things that we've been cultivating, Leslie and I have been cultivating for years, not just our family's praying. But our family coming in here and working with all of you as the body of Christ, and we're all praying together. What does that look like? How does that, how does that function? So the, the ingredients for individual prayer are the same as the ingredients for participatory, 
But there's something very powerful about participatory, where we're all sort of exercising at the same time in this realm of prayer. It's like watch out world. Something very significant is happening. So what is prayer? So I'm going to start with first what it is not. There's this idea that has crept in through the New Age movement, and ironically it's gotten into the church. I'm not sure how that happens, but we have this idea of contemplative prayer, or I'm just going to call it what it is, contemplative mindlessness. That's actually what contemplative prayer is. It's literally turning off your brain, and it's going into some kind of uh, uh, zone uh, it's the exact opposite of how Christian meditation works. So the, the word meditation actually is in the Bible, but not like this, this kind of ridiculousness. This is this new age thing of turning off the brain. Actually, biblical meditation is a very active use of the brain. It's a focus on Scripture and exercising it, repeating it, looking at it from different angles. It's a completely different concept than the new age variety. So what I am going to instruct you in as far as prayer is not contemplative mindlessness. It is not spiritual therapy. Some of us think that the reason that we pray is as so, sort of like an apple a day keeps the doctor away. This is like a prayer a day sort of keeps the devil away. And I'm not going to say that a prayer a day doesn't have an impact in your life. It's just that that's, it's not some kind of exercise where God is just like, yeah, it doesn't really move me, says God, but I just need you to be praying because it's good for you. So it's some kind of spiritual therapy for you, but God's like totally unmoved by it. Because when people, and this, this happens a lot, when people think about the bigness of God and the smallness of us, well then who are we to move God? Well, that's a good question. That's actually a very fascinating statement. It's like, yeah, what could my prayers actually do to change the course of history? I have a hunch that prayer must be just for me. And God just sort of looks in and pats me on the shoulder and goes, good job. I, I'm glad you're healthy down there. You're praying. When in actuality, prayer is an engagement, and it's a very, very significant one in shaping the course of nations. You actually have the opportunity to enter into the effect of history, the course of history, by praying. It's not merely dinnertime gratitude. Uh, you, you, know, you fold your hands, or you, my dad would always say, join our family circle, and we would always hold hands, and, and then we would pray. And that was our prayer. You know, that was our family prayer was for food. And it was usually the same prayer every night. You know, bless this food to our body. We have these phrases that we come up with, which I'm not even going to say are bad. But long and short, prayer at dinner is not the prayer that the Bible is instructing us in. But it's not bad. I've had people ask me, well, is it bad to pray at dinner? No, not at all. It's just merely thankfulness is what it is. It's a show of gratitude. It's a show of honor to God. I think it can be wonderful. Okay, but that's not the essence of prayer. Prayer goes so far beyond dinnertime thanks. I remember I was in uh, Louisiana somewhere on a, on a trip. Uh, I was on a missions trip. So this is when I was oh, 20, 21. And I came in, I, and they had already eaten dinner, and I was staying at someone's house. And I came in, she had a bowl of chili for me. And I closed my eyes and bowed my head, and she stopped me. And she goes, it's already been prayed for. So I looked up and I was like, oh, okay, that's, uh, thank you. And then I closed my eyes again to, I was just going to give thanks to God. You know, it's just, it's a tradition for Eric Ludy to do that. And she stops me again and goes, it's already been prayed for. <laughs> <laughs> I 
So, you know, our different mentalities towards prayer are really interesting in how, I've always asked uh, people, have you ever had that awkward thing where you sit down, you pray for the meal, and then something happens, like there's a, the phone rings or the dog runs out the door, everyone gets up, they have to, they have to deal with something, then you sit back down, it's like, are you supposed to pray again? It's like, did the prayer wear off? Uh, Have you ever had that? Or, you know, just some kind of gap, and then it's like dessert is a little later. Do you you need to pray again before dessert? We create a sort of a rules-based understanding of prayer because we want to have the etiquette of heaven. Those are side issues. I'm not dealing with those right now. Now let's look at what prayer is. There's a a particular scripture in Matthew. This is uh, typically called the Lord's Prayer. But the disciples don't really understand how prayer works, and Jesus is going to give them something. He's going to give them an infrastructure of prayer. Extremely fascinating when you study it. And so, you know, when people pray the Lord's Prayer, I I think it has great value because obviously these are the words of Jesus, and so it's very significant. I have a tendency to look at it as a framework, not necessarily as just the only thing you should be praying. And yet there's something in it that is very, very significant and telling in helping us understand how prayer works. So, hear the words. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So, when Jesus was on the cross, he said something, and that is, it is finished. Now, when you hear Jesus say it is finished, we start with a presumption. All right, it's finished. And you'd be right. It is, but what is it? And... What is actually finished? Because you look around, and it doesn't look like things are finished. You ever had that thought? It's like, Jesus, you know, I, I love you, but your, your concept of being finished is a little different than mine. It, if, if I was saying it was finished, the devil would be no more. Okay, instead, we live in a world that's actually mocking everything that Jesus Christ did. That doesn't seem finished. And that's because it's finished in heaven. Down here, this is a work in process. In other words, Jesus has done everything in order to stake claim to this earth. He is the rightful Lord and King. Just like back in the days of Saul and David. Do you remember that Saul was rejected? He was. David was anointed king. Saul was rejected as king. David was anointed as king, but Saul didn't step down. We are in a parallel to that right now. Whereas the rightful king is anointed, Jesus Christ. He is the rightful king of this earth. However, he's not recognized as such. What he finished is finished in heaven. Then he leaves and he says, it's better for you that I go to be with the Father. And we're like, I'm not so sure about that. (laughs) Whoa, wait a minute, where are you going? Oh, no, there he goes. And so he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he has gifted us something. He's gifted gifted us his very life, the Holy Spirit, to live within us, And he's given us access, which we will go into greater detail on. He's given us access unto the Father because we are, by faith, in Christ Jesus. So where he is, we are. And he is seated in heavenly places. So he is there, right with the Father. And he says, now I want you to pray in my name to the Father. And when we do, that which is in heaven, I'm going to put heaven up here, as if heaven is up here. It's a different realm. That which is in heaven can actually be brought to this earth. You see, God has finished something. He has accomplished something on the cross. Now we step onto the stage. It is now an opportunity for us to participate in the kingdom of heaven. 
Why he would choose us for such a job is a little mystifying. I have to acknowledge that. Because we are rather pathetic. And yet he has selected us. He has chosen us to participate and to become a part of his grand plan. So he awakens us and stirs within us and we see this other realm. I don't know about you, but I see another realm. I, I actually see, not with my physical eyes, but with my spiritual eyes, I see the King of Kings seated at the right hand of the Father and all things are under his feet. I believe it. I believe it. It's like I have eyes of faith to see it and I believe that he has procured. He has gained for us everything that we need for life and godliness. And we access this, how? You could say by faith and you would be right. But the arm of faith that actually reaches up into the heavenly realms and pulls it to this earth is known as prayer. Prayer is the means by which we reach up by faith, grab a hold of God's promises, and yank them to this earth. Okay, so I'm just giving you sort of a warm-up to understand the grandeur of what we're participating in. This is not just contemplative mindlessness. This is not spiritual therapy. This is not dinnertime gratitude. This is change the world activity. This is big. And the reason the devil has worked so hard to sabotage prayer, to diminish prayer, to the point where we hardly even recognize what it is anymore, is because of its grand importance. So what prayer is? So there's various illustrations in Scripture that Jesus even gives to show how prayer works. The Bible actually has a lot on prayer. And what's interesting is the illustrations are somewhat uncomfortable for us. Now, I grew up in America, and my parents taught me etiquette. They taught me how to show respect and honor to those around me, like don't stare, don't point, you know, things like that, right? And you don't go up to people and ask them for money. That was a big one. So when I, I remember when I went to missionary training, they're like, you need to go and ask people for money. It's like, excuse me, <laughs> that violates a code of my being. And so sometimes we have a code in our being that isn't actually God's code. It's, it's possible, just, just know that. Sometimes we're trained in a culture that doesn't always give us the exact pattern of the kingdom of heaven. And this is one of the ones that is interesting. It's been interesting for me because when I hear about, it's called the importunate neighbor, okay? As Jesus tells the story, this one guy has someone come visit him. And it's in the night, and one of the, you know, basic foundational principal points of the Jewish culture is, hey, hospitality is a big deal. And he needs bread uh, to give to him, but he doesn't have any. So he goes next door where he obviously knows his neighbor has bread. So he goes to where he knows the bread is, and then, even though it's the middle of the night, he starts knocking. Okay, now, I don't know about you, but I already feel like there's a violation. Okay, I, and I don't know how you're hot-wired, what your cultural sensitivities are, what your sense of honor is, but whoa. <laughs> okay, you just, you're going to have to tell your, your friend that just showed up that hey, you just are going to have to fail him. We don't have any bread. I mean, you're just going to have to tell him because there's no way I'm going next door and knocking on someone's door, let alone thinking that they're in bed, okay? It's one thing if it's, you know, it's 10.05 and you see a light on. It's like, okay, a little, little awkward, but I'm going to go anyways. I need that bread. This is like lights out. The guy goes over and kink, 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 kink. 
No answer. Kink, 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 kink. No answer. Okay, now what would you do at this point in time? You, you following me? What would you do? You would say, all right, I already feel awkward enough. I'm going back home. Hopefully they don't realize it was me. This guy keeps knocking. And guess what? This is Jesus telling the story saying, yeah, you see what this guy is doing? You see what he's doing? Yeah, we're like, yeah, and we're offended. No, he shouldn't be doing that. King, 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 king. And finally, the owner of the house, the guy with the bread, yells out and says, go away. <laughs> I'm in bed with my family. A little strange, I have to admit, okay? <laughs> and what does the neighbor do but king, 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 keeps knocking. Okay, you follow me? I don't know if anything has been violated inside of you, but this is a very unique thing for Eric Ludi to engage in, especially when Jesus says, yeah, you see what that guy did? That's what I want you to do to me. You see, you're going to have need, and you're going to need to know that I'm the only one that has a solution for you. And when you recognize that, you need to come to me and with unrelenting fervor, start knocking. And even if it appears that I don't hear you, even if it appears that I'm busy doing something else, you keep pressing your plea until you get it. Ben? Uh, I don't have the scripture reference. I wish it was just sitting up there. You're wondering if it's in the Bible? You're being a good Berean saying, I don't know if that's in the Bible. It's in there. Someone in the back, find it, and we'll give a reference to Ben. I uh, just put a line on the screen, so I don't know the exact uh, location for it. Jesus talking, persistent, importunate neighbor knocking. It violates the very essence of how we work, and Jesus says, yep, like that. Do that to me. Now, we would call it presumption, wouldn't we? We'd say, like, I'm not going to presume upon God that he's going to get up in the night and do this, but there's something about this, this behavior, that is extremely important in prayer. And then he gives another illustration. The persistent widow. The persistent widow and the unjust judge. So this widow daily shows up at this judge, and I just, it's like so irritating every time I think about the story, and she's just sort of nagging him. It's like, hey, I have, some, I have a need, and you need to tend to it. And this guy's an unjust judge is the way he's described. In other words, he's not inclined towards helping her, but because of her persistence, he's like, all right, all right, I'll help you. And Jesus says, did you see what that widow did? That's what I want you to do in prayer. That's what I want you to do to me. Now, he's not an unjust judge, but our God is basically saying, even if it seems like there is a wall between you and heaven and it's like brass, press through it, keep knocking, keep pulling. You do what you need to do. But you know that there's only one place to find that bread. There's only one way to get that just ruling. Go after it and don't stop until you get it. Okay, now, I don't know about you, but that form of persistence is not normal or natural within me. It is beyond what I would ever think of doing. And that's why this is very critical to recognize the kingdom of heaven that you've entered into is wanting to train you according to a new pattern. Now, I'm not going to just say that you should go to your neighbor's house and start knocking, but I am going to say that you need to go to the kingdom of heaven and start knocking. You need to know what God has and the fact that he has promised it to you, and then I want you to go after it with persistence. So the two illustrations I'm going to bring out for you are the rope pull and the shovel scoop. 
So the rope pull, here's, I, these, I need like mental pictures to sort of chew on, wrap my brain around. I, I'm a metaphor guy. So I'm always going to look for that one mental picture and then I'll just sort of, okay, all right, now I can really grip this. So imagine the kingdom of heaven is up here. It's up in the rafter area up here and I am given a rope and it has a grappling hook on it. You know, one of those like metal claw-like things. And God hands it to me and I look at it and I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? He says, I want you to go after the promises of God. I want you to pray. This is prayer. And so what I do is I, I swing this grappling hook and loft it up into that heavenly realm to grab a hold of a promise. Got it. I got a promise. Okay, now what do I do with it? I pull. How many times do I pull? Well, I pull and I pull and I pull. What if it hasn't come down yet? Do I give up? No, I pull and 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 I pull. And I pull, and I pull, and I pull, and I pull, and I pull. When should I stop? Should I stop? What if it still seems jammed up there? I pull, and 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 I pull. Is there ever a time when I don't pull? Well, when that promise finally comes to this earth and is revealed in this natural realm, well, then I'm done pulling on that one, and then I swing the rope up and grab another one. In other words, I'm bringing that which is in heaven to this earth. God designed this entire construct that he has purchased something and we, through faith, access it. We gain access to the realities of heaven through persistence, through importunity. A lot of us pull once and we're like, I don't know that God really wants me to go after that. Some of us, you know, we have entire support groups in Christianity for three pole Christians. You know, that pulled, pulled, <laughs> and then pulled, and then nothing happened, and then they, oh, they were disillusioned, disheartened, and then they get together in these support groups and hug one another in churches. How many times did you pull? Three. I did four. And they're like, oh. And I want to say, break it up, guys. Come on. Did God say it? Well, yes. Well, then why did you stop pulling? You see, the issue isn't God's faithfulness. The issue is our lack of persistence. You see, faith is tested. It always is tested. And when faith is being tested, it's basically saying, hey, are you going to let go? Are you going to stop pulling? Do you believe it or not? Because if you believe it, you keep pulling. And you pull and you pull and you pull and you pull. And you pull and you pull and you pull and you pull and you get the idea. So for many of us, what I want you to freshly do in your life is grip that rope and begin to pull afresh on those, on those points in your life where you knew you should pull, but you've let go. You see, God desires to refresh us in our praying. He desires to give us a vision of persistence and importunity. The shovel scoop. I don't know which one's better for me. If I like the, the rope pull or the shovel scoop better. The shovel scoop's really good, okay? So this is actually, underneath this carpet is concrete, okay? So we're, for the sake of this illustration, we're going to make it dirt, okay? Because it really sort of gums up our illustration if I make it concrete, right? So you're going to need to recognize that there's dirt underneath your feet, right? 
And imagine God says to you, right where you're sitting right now, he says, I have laid a treasure in place. It's right beneath you, okay? And it is of vast value. I mean, just inestimable worth. It's right beneath your feet, and then he tosses you something. It's a shovel, and you grab it. What's he saying? Do you catch the meaning of that shovel? Why is he telling you there's a promise? Why is he telling you that there is a treasure? And then he gives you a shovel. He's like, dig. So every child that I've ever mentioned that to, and I say, what would you do in that situation? Treasure beneath your feet. God says it's there. He even says it's yours, and then he hands you a shovel. Every child instinctively knows exactly what to do, and they can't wait to do it. They want to dig for buried treasure. This is like a dream of every child. We as adults are a little more refined. And so we wait, you know, we're, we're intrigued, but we can't act like we're that intrigued. <laughs> when no one's looking, we start digging. <laughs> However, in your Christian life, you've been given a promise. You've been given a shovel. Why aren't you digging? You see, everything that is needful for life and godliness has been made available to you in Christ. Go after it. Go after this treasure. And so you dig in, throw the dirt off to the side and look in your hole. It's really hard for some Christians when they don't see the treasure chest there. It's like, hey, I thought God said that there was a treasure chest right beneath my feet. It's funny, he doesn't tell you how deep it is. He just says it's down there. And so many of us will dig, a couple scoopsfuls, three scoopfuls, we'll look in there and we'll start to give way to disillusionment. It's like, God, I, I trusted you. Trusted you that there was gonna be a, a treasure down here. So we have entire support groups in churches for three to four scoopful uh, Christians that have, you know, they've given it their all. They've given it their best, and they've shoveled out three to four scoopfuls, and now they're, they're wobbling me. They can't figure out why, how, God. And I want to break it up and say, hey, guys, pick up your shovels and keep digging. If God promises it, then you can trust it. He is faithful. And so we dig, and we dig. And we dig, and we dig, and we dig. How long do we dig? You guys you starting to catch on to this? Do we dig until, you know, oh, well, when you get below the knee, then, you know, you've gone too far. There's no rule like that. You dig, and 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 you dig. And then you dig, and you dig, and you dig, and you dig, and pretty soon you're below the ground, you know. And I, I've had so many things in my life. In fact, I still have them where I've gotten some really deep holes. And people will stand. It makes other Christians feel awkward. It's, it's interesting, the phenomenon of digging holes. And so they'll hang over your hole and go, um, I really don't think you should keep digging. Why, why would they care? But it's uncomfortable for people when they see someone press forward into something for so long and not relent. Why does it make someone feel uncomfortable? Well, likely because they relented. In other words, when someone else sets down a shovel and then you don't, it makes them feel a little off. <laughs> when, when you're continuing to dig, it's like, should I pick up my shovel and dig? No, no. Well, you need to stop digging. So I remember in my love story with Leslie, I would not stop digging. And there was no one in my generation that could parallel what I was going through to say, oh, it's a good idea to keep digging. In fact, everyone was a little uncomfortable. No, I trust God. I trust that God knows what he's doing. And then pretty soon, I'm like, kink. I found it. I found it. And then I had all these people going, oh, well, well, what a strange thing. And then they said, well, we don't want to get anyone else's hopes up that they, if they did the same, that they would find treasure. 
Isn't that an interesting? The first statement that I begin to hear is that this is a rare once in a lifetime, once in a generation type of a thing. But you can't expect other people to find the same treasure. You follow me? It's a tactic of the enemy when in fact it's like whatever God promises is available to everyone who will go after it. If you see it, if you know it's there, why do you see it? Why do you know it's there? Because the Spirit of God has already warmed you to it. So, go after it. It takes a, a level of diligence and oomph in the soul that is supernatural, guys. There are so many times. I mean, I, even this morning, okay, I could tell you that in the soul of Eric Ludi, there can grow a tiredness of digging. And it's like, God, could you just, could you get me to that treasure? And it's a, it's a weariness in well-doing. And that's where you freshly charge the soul. Even before I came over here, I gave myself a fresh sermon. I do it a lot, guys, so it's not like just this morning special. I do it all the time. I have my sermons that I preach to Eric Ludi. Eric? I'm like, yes. <laughs> now, you, you call yourself a man, right? Well, that's what I esteem to be. I really desire to be a man. A man of God? Yes, yes, sir, I desire to be a man of God. What should a man of God do right now? Well, sir, he should be strong. He should be faithful. He should be persisting. That's right. That's what I wanted to hear. So what are you going to do, Ludi? I'm going to do that. I'm going to charge my soul today, and I'm going to continue digging. All right, then. At ease, soldier. So this is a common conversation, maybe a little different uh, phraseology each time around. In other words, for me, it's essential that I'm reminded of the significance of continuing onward. It is very easy to grow lax, and that, that shovel just feels heavy some mornings. And it's like, oh, God, can't you just get me to the treasure? Can we skip over the next couple feet of dirt? I don't know that I can keep digging like this. Don't, don't fall for that. That's the devil whispering, you can't keep digging like this. And then you're repeating it. I can't keep digging like this. Just don't listen to that devil. God is going to say, I'm going to give you everything you need for life and godliness. You know, when you feel weak, my grace is sufficient for you. Everything you need to keep going in this direction, you have. The recipe for the impossible for God not to answer prayer. Boy, I'm giving you guys some really good stuff here. I'm actually giving you a recipe for the type of prayer that God has to answer. Doesn't that sound exciting? I mean, some of you guys just don't know what you're getting here. I mean, this is gold right here. So first ingredient, praying God prayers instead of man prayers. You know that there's two different kinds of prayers that you can pray? You know that there are prayers that are derived from us? You know, like, God, I want 100% of my math exam. It's not like God doesn't care about your math exam, but that may not be God's prayer, okay? But there's other types of prayers that come out of waiting on him, spending time in his presence, and you suddenly get a burden. That's, that's the best way to describe it. It's like a weight in your soul, and it's something that God is sponsoring. And I don't think it, you just shouldn't pray about your math exam. I think take everything to God. However, in the process to come before the kingdom of heaven and say, God, Here's my math exam. I entrust it to you. I desire to live for you. I desire to please you. Of course, I desire to do excellent in my math exam. But I desire your glory above all. And so no matter what, I am going to serve you even if my math exam 
isn't all that hot. But I ask that you would lead me in this life. You see, there's prayers that are deeper that we need to start tapping into. So praying God prayers instead of man prayers. If you're praying a God prayer, guaranteed to be answered. Praying in faith. You see, there's two different ways to pray. Prayer, prayer could be like, all right, God, I'm not sure you're out there, but I'm going to loft a prayer up anyways. And the other type is, God, I know you're out there, and I know you're a prayer-answering God, and I know that you have promised that when I set my request before you in the name of Jesus, it will be done. It's a prayer of faith. Praying with perseverance. So you could have a God prayer, you could pray it with faith, but then you could let go of the rope or set down the shovel. You need to continue in that prayer. And that's where most of us miscarry in the process, is we set down the shovel, let go of the rope, because we don't want to presume upon God. Maybe we're missing it. The question is, did God promise it? And praying in purity. You see, if you're living in willful sin, well then that's going to automatically begin to undermine and whittle away your effectiveness in prayer. But when you live clean before God, God, if there's anything in my life, please show it to me. And if you live just clean before God, there's things in your life God will correct you about 10 years from now that might even be there right now, but you don't even know about it. But what you do know about, make right. If there's something that's sort of hogging up space in your soul other than God, and God puts his finger on it, kick it out. When you do these things, you pray God prayers instead of man prayers, you pray in faith, you pray with perseverance, and you pray in purity, guaranteed. God will do it. God will answer. It's like slam dunk prayer. This is what I want to exhort your soul in as we begin. All right, so uh, for those that are uh, streaming, this part is going to trim, and we're, I'm actually going to go into a specific training in regards to participatory prayer for us that are present today. Uh, but let me pray uh, before we transition. Father, I ask that you would enable us to really grip and grab this, that we would not take it lightly, but that you would cultivate this, and inculcate this deep into the soil of our understanding and that we would know how to functionally work as Christians. We love you and we trust you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday morning. Join us at live.ellersley.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellersley campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.